King James Muppet Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking Doctor Who because it's like a plus size episode, but I would really rather it be a Muppet Christmas special. It would be so amazing if we were to redo this whole thing with Muppets. And obviously Kermit is King James and Anne. Mm. No, no, no. Because somehow we got to get the chicken as a lover. Well, Gonzo. Gonzo. It would be Gonzo and the chicken would be his lover. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Or Kermit can be King James and he can be played by Robin at the beginning. No, Michael Caine. Let's bring him back. <laughs> Let's get Caine and Curry back. Welcome to part one of this holiday-sized double installment of Kick-Ass Queers. I'm Larry Womack. And I'm Rachel Stewart. And today, we're going to be talking about our most problematic, but also most influential queer to date, King James the Sixth and First. That's Sixth of Scotland, First of England and Ireland. That's a lot of math. That's a lot of math for one guy. It's confusing. It's too many Jameses. And how did Scotland get five Jameses before England had one? Probably because it was before England was like, we'll just take you too. Hmm. Actually, we're going to get into that later, too. Oh, I bet. But mostly, we are going to be ruining or making your Christmas dinner by pointing out that the man whose name graces the cover of the most popular Bible in use today was really, really into dudes. Oh, man. This is... Uh... I, I, you know, I thought I felt fear when we recorded the Lawrence v. Texas saga, but I realize now that this is actually causing me to have a lot more fear and trepidation, if only because I do have a lot of people I would consider family who they're not going to enjoy this. <laughs> well, too bad. You are going to be astonished at the wealth of evidence <laughs> when it comes to this. I was not prepared. I thought it was going to be a thing that we go into and like, oh, well, there were rumors and maybe there are these letters that are sort of open to interpretation. No, no, (laughs) that is not what was happening here. I guess the question then has to be begged, steamier or less steamy than Florence Nightingale's correspondence? I'm going to say steamier because there's an S&M element here. Oh, wow. Of course there is. Of (laughs) course there is. So we're going to get to other queer royals for sure. And some of them are less morally inconsistent than James. It really, for me, is a case of there just being one insane blotch on his record. Is it the Bible? (laughs) It is not. Actually, we put that in the accomplishment column. Wow, good Um, for him. But the, the reason I wanted to do James first or James the first first if you will, (laughs) is that a lot of people are going to be heading into environments this week where family members and other people from their childhood are going to hold negative feelings about homosexuality. That's true. And what do they cite to justify this? Leviticus and Romans. Yeah, the Bible. The like three passages in a book that is 98% stuff they just ignore. It always just sort of tickles me in that really sad, oppressive way when they're, you know, snarfing down some shrimp cocktail in their polyester wool blend sweaters telling me about how homosexuality is an abomination. 
Right, because of Good Leviticus, times. which also says they shouldn't yeah. be eating that or wearing that. Um, but I mean, there are abortion instructions in the Bible. They don't work. They're crazy, superstitious nonsense. And they only claim to work if the wife has been unfaithful. But they're there in, in Numbers 521 or so. But the Bible's infallible, Larry. Mm, yeah. So we'll talk about that a bit later. <laughs> the Bible is also not as cut and dry on homosexuality as some want to believe to begin with. I mean, the, the Old Testament has laws against it. There's the thing in Romans, but it's mostly amid long lists of other crazy shit we ignore. But then the covenant between David and Jonathan looks like a marriage at the time, and they're naked and kissing until David grows, which... I don't think he got taller. It's um, it's a, it's a parable. Um, but people act like that's just not there, or they're like, well, they're friends and they're joining their families because they're such close friends. But they're they're naked and kissing, and one of them is growing. Well, there's what uh, Ruth and Leah, mm-hmm. right? Who, your folk or my folk? Again, mm-hmm. the OG best friends and roommates. I would say on balance. There's probably a little more of that than there even is condemnation. Not that that matters. I will say up front, this guy does some stuff I do not care for, some stuff that is the exact opposite of kick-ass. I'm thinking of one thing in particular. Not the Bible, but that's fine. We can disagree. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually kind of something else that he wrote that I don't love. That we also wrote an anti-smoking pamphlet, so he was way ahead of the curve on that. Truly a renaissance man. I think it's important for people who get told that they are less than with this, like, God said it rationale to know that, no, actually, not only is the Bible not fully what they say when it comes to queer people, a queer guy's name is on the cover of the most popular edition. God, I just love it. I can't even tell you how much that just makes my heart sing. Yeah. And there is anti-gay stuff in it. Like Leviticus 18 and 20 are batshit crazy. They're right in the middle of these lists of people you don't fuck. And it's like, don't fuck your daughter-in-law. Don't fuck dudes. Don't fuck your mother-in-law. <laughs> it's such a specific what? list. Why does he sound like a Gavone all of a sudden? <laughs> because that's the only person I can imagine delivering this list of rules. Oh my God. Okay. But on to James. Tell me about King James, the third and a half. That's the average. (laughs) First, we're going to have to spend some time setting up how he got to the throne or thrones, really, because that's going to set the stage for the world in which all of his decisions have to be made. Okay. So James was the only child of Mary, Queen of Scots. She's the great granddaughter of Henry VII and first cousin once removed of Elizabeth I. And we're, we're going to have a couple Marys floating around here for a minute. Mary, Queen of Scots, was Catholic and had at times claimed to be the rightful Queen of England. Now, remember, Elizabeth I was Queen at this time. She was Henry VIII's daughter by Anne Boleyn, who was a Protestant. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth's predecessor, Mary I, or Bloody Mary, was Catholic, (laughs) and she had persecuted Protestants to the tune of 283 executed, mostly burned alive, and many hundreds more having to flee the country. It should be noted, though, that Mary, Queen of Scots, our Mary, James's mother, 
was also Catholic, but actually pretty tolerant of Protestants during her rule in Scotland. You can sort of see why England wanted nothing to do with Catholic rule after Bloody Mary, let alone another Catholic queen named Mary. So Mary, Queen of Scots, for a long time, really felt like she was the rightful ruler of England, which, from a Catholic perspective, Elizabeth was illegitimate because the Church of England was born out of Henry's divorce from Catherine of Aragon. She was a bastard. Right. And this this will all be very important in just a moment. Like her son, Mary was pretty well liked by the gentleman. She once had a poet exiled due to his attentions. Then two days later, he popped out from under her bed, professed his love, and started to take off his clothes. She had him beheaded for treason. Harsh. Yeah, that's rejection. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever rejection uh, you've suffered in your life wasn't that. That's some pretty severe friend zoning there. (laughs) While mourning her first husband, she married her half-cousin Henry Stewart, Lord Darnley. There now, could be a relation, I'm not going to lie. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Stuart, last name. Yeah. Not we, even by marriage. We have Stuarts down in the line, too. I may be my own cousin. But you also may be the rightful Queen of England, so trade-off. I, I am way too useful to be into that mess. One thing you're going to notice as this episode continues is that people will be known by their last names, their family names, for a while. Then they'll get a title the duke of blank right and then after that they're known as that title so now we're going to call him darnley it's something we'll just have to get used to for a little bit darnley was ambitious he did not like that his title was king consort he wanted to be co-ruler with her and perhaps suspiciously heir to the throne upon her death sounds like uh gold digger (laughs) right Mary became pregnant with James, and Darnley became convinced that the child belonged to David Rizzio, her private secretary. So, he conspired to have Rizzio stabbed to death at a dinner party in front of Mary. This leads to a bit of an uprising. He is not on her side. She convinces him to switch sides, and together they flee the conspirators a couple nights later. Her son, James, the focus of this podcast, was born about three months after all of this on June 19th, 1566. So he's a Gemini. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I can't. You know, if we're going to be talking about superstitious nonsense, we can bring it all in. (laughs) Okay. Throughout this, Mary doesn't trust her husband because of his pushing for more power, murdering someone, and having joined a conspiracy against her. Yeah, fair. On top of that, he's betrayed his own allies, testified against them, and gotten them all killed. So he's a he's screwed. She rides off four hours each way, not long after having given birth, to have a little meeting with James Hepburn, the Earl of Bothwell. She also meets with nobles about how to get rid of Darnley to see if divorce is on the table. It should be, right? But remember, Mary's Catholic. So James is baptized on December 17th in a huge ceremony to really show off, hey, this is a legitimate heir. But it's also super Catholic. This pisses some people off and there are a lot of no-shows for a lot of reasons, really. Darnley, who doesn't appear to be that bright, refuses to come because he won't be treated as the king. 
Mary had not only expected him to attend, she had bought him a gold suit for the event. Okay. (laughs) So he just stood her up at their kid's baptism. Such drama. James Hepburn, or Bothwell, also doesn't show up. Right after that, Darnley runs off to Glasgow to stay with his father, and he falls ill. Mary somehow convinces him to come back and recuperate in her care. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) What a dumbass. God. (laughs) So. (laughs) Then you get what's coming to you. She also sends little James off to live with John, Earl of Mar, and his wife, Annabella Murray, so that he's kept away from the dangerous politics of the royal court, which are a lot. Yeah. Mar was a moderate Protestant, which is going to be really important later, and had been a member of Mary's Privy Council and a supporter of her marriage to Darnley. Okay. Mary puts Darnley up in this house in a former abbey. She visits him regularly. She plays nice. Then one February evening, only a couple months after the baptism, she heads off to a wedding. So she has an alibi. Mm -hmm. And early the next morning, the Abbey gets blown up. (laughs) Sorry. You know, this is, you know, this feels like, honestly, this feels like Adam's family values. With uh, Debbie, he's just—he's not that bright. And, and Uncle Fester, like this is, this feels like the source material for that. Darnley's body was found in the garden, where some sources say he appeared to have been smothered. So he wasn't killed in the explosion. Probably, it was probably meant to cover up his murder. Which I don't know what they would have blamed an explosion on. I. I don't even know what to say after this. (laughs) So people are convinced that Bothwell, the guy that she rode off to meet, did it. And they're probably right. This feels like a Dateline episode. (laughs) And it's only getting started. Queen Elizabeth, James's godmother, who Mary has tried to rebuild a good relationship with, because she, one way or another, really is the next in line for that crown. And she wants it. So Elizabeth writes to Mary and she says, quote, men say that instead of seizing the murderers, you are looking through your fingers while they escape, that you will not seek revenge on those who have done you so much pleasure as though the deed would never have taken place had not the doers of it been assured of impunity. For myself, I beg you to believe that I would not harbor such a thought. Oh, man. Snitches get stitches. I'm just saying, I've heard some things. There's some rumors going around. Mary eventually agrees to allow Bothwell to be tried for the murder, but she doesn't give them enough time to gather evidence. So he gets acquitted because there's no evidence. This is on April 12th. By May 3rd, he is divorced. And by May 15th, he and the recently widowed Mary, Queen of Scots, are married you know i watch a lot of dateline and there are some red flags that happen you know for example the corpse isn't even cold yet and you're already married those are all things that i I believe they they call red flags this is really brazen in pretty short order she realizes that the marriage was a mistake it's very tempestuous for some reason shocking (laughs) they seem so stable (laughs) 
if these two kids I mean, it's can't gonna make be it, really who hard. can? It's going to be really hard to foster any kind of trust when you know that if you piss her off, she's just going to have you blown up. By the next guy. By the next guy who's, who's willing to take the fall. So the lords turn against them in revolt. She is imprisoned, miscarries twins. And at some point during all of the mayhem, she did visit James at the Earl's home, but Mar would not allow her to take him with her. Well, God, yeah. That says a lot about what her position was reduced to at the time, right? The queen is like, please give me my son. And this this Earl's like, no. I don't think so. That was the last time she ever saw her son, even though she lived another 20 years or so. Wow. The Earl of Mar appeared to be pretty concerned about James falling into Bothwell's hands for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) And he even joined and became a leader of the nobles who rose up against Mary. Also, remember, he's Protestant. So if the king is raised in his household, then Protestantism is going to be the next flavor of religion that is going to be adopted by the Regency. Absolutely. Yeah. By July, Mary is forced to abdicate, and our little James, who has just turned one year old, becomes King of Scotland. Yikes. His coronation is as Protestant as his baptism was Catholic. Okay. Now, he's too young to rule, so a regency of four earls is put together, most of whom probably helped kill his father, whether it was Rizzio or Darnley. God. Which most historians think it was actually Darnley. So James grew up in the care of the Earl of Mar until the Earl died when James was about five years old. Then he came into the household of the Earl's brother, Sir Alexander Erskine. James's education was completely Protestant. It was really important to people that he not be sort of infected by exposure to Catholicism. He was tutored by this really legendary educator, James Buchanan, who had tutored Mary, among others, and used to love her, but now hated her and wrote that she was, among other things, a murderer and a witch. He believed that kings had limited power and were subject to the will of the ruled, which is somewhat at odds with James's later belief in the divine right of kings or that kings are above the law. He was also very old and by this point pretty cranky. Once, he smacked James on the ear, and when he talked back, beat him. The Countess was like, yo, you can't beat the king. (laughs) And he replied, quote, Madam, I have whipped the boy's arse. You may kiss it if you choose. (laughs) Honestly, this is, this feels like the, like, trash version of King Arthur. Kinda. But James did love the guy, like, later in life. Just, he was harsh. His other tutor, 27-year-old Peter Young, has a little on the nose, was a more gentle sort. (laughs) Oh, wow. What kind of tutoring was Peter Young doing? Between the two of them, James learned to read and write Latin, Scots, French, and Greek. He learned the Bible almost by heart. He learned to ride, dance, hunt, hawk. He especially loved archery, and the most popular gift to give him were bows and arrows. He's learning a lot of things that a good king or young gentleman of the time should know. And throughout life, he would be an author and poet of some competence. He wrote various treaties, including one against smoking and another, which we'll go into later. 
Although, interestingly, he showed no interest in music, which both sides of his family were pretty famous for. Hmm. Must have gotten that from his real father's side. (laughs) There is, of course, also intrigue and drama happening while he's being educated. A lot of people, Catholics especially, are loyal to his mother and trying to put her back in power. She is off in England trying to convince Elizabeth to help put her back in power. And sometimes plotting against her. It's a very awkward relationship that they have. Mm. Her her troops actually almost took Edinburgh Castle when James was four. Keep in mind that to her, her son and her kingdom have been kidnapped. He's being raised in another household, in another religion, and she knows full well that he is being taught to hate her. Maybe you shouldn't blow up your husband's. (laughs) You've got to be smarter about it than that girl. Poison exists. Why go right for the gunpowder? I just love, though, that like I get this image of him ass over tea kettle in the garden <laughs> with a pillow still strapped to his face, <laughs> charred. <laughs> poor, poor dumb Darnley. Um, oh, Darnley. Oh, Darnley. The regents are also an interesting group. One of the regents wife is basically being held hostage in England. So he's a supporter of Elizabeth's interests. Another was assassinated and replaced by James's grandfather. One was killed in a raid and replaced by the Earl of Mar, who you might remember died by the time James was five, from either poisoning or illness. Right. He was then replaced by the Earl of Morton, who helped murder Riccio, who, again, some people thought was James's real father. And Morton was not a nice guy. Some could say he was salty. <laughs> Uh, When James was 11 years old, two of the other regents had had enough of Morton, and they asked James as king to arbitrate. Oh, wow. So we're having the (laughs) 11-year-old. We're having him mediate. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. Um, Good. Morton, in turn, says he wants them punished, and if James doesn't do it, he will resign as regent. The other regents and his guardian are like, take the resignation. This guy sucks. Mm-hmm. So he does, and they broker a deal for his retirement. But then a few weeks later, Morton leads a midnight raid on the estate, regains control of the government, and in the raid kills the Earl's son, who James had grown up with and been educated alongside. James would have nightmares about this, perhaps for the rest of his life. And... For about a year, Morton is leading this new government, eliminating his enemies, including probably poisoning one of the regents who had complained about him, and basically being pretty scary. One thing that does work out for James in all of this, though, is that he also wipes out most of his mother's supporters. (laughs) So, James turns 13. And apparently this is considered adulthood then because he actually gets to exercise power. So he heads off to Edinburgh and there are huge celebrations and such pageantry. And there he is joined by Esme Stewart, Lord Darnley's first cousin, a 37-year-old French Catholic. And Esme is described by contemporaries as, quote, of comely proportion, civil behavior, red-bearded, and honest in conversation. So probably my cousin. Before long, young James is just completely devoted to this guy. Oh, I bet. 
one English observer wrote that James was, quote, in such love with him as in the open sight of the people, often he would clasp him about the neck with his arms and kiss him. James even convinces someone to give up the title of Earl of Lennox so that he could give it to Esme. He also gives him Dumberton Castle. Wow. And safely away and backed by Esme and his supporters, James is able to basically fire Morton. So he's what, 13? He's still 13 at this point, 14? Yeah, he's very young. So if you, as a young gay man, had some raging hormones and a whole kingdom at your disposal, I'm sure you would have probably been giving away titles and properties just to show how much you love him. Oh, God, yeah. I think about people I had a crush on when I was 13, and I'm like, what, what I would not have done. And honestly, when I was first reading about this, I was like, well, he's 13. It doesn't mean that the guy is encouraging this interest. But uh, there'll be more later. Hmm. Um, more on that later. Meanwhile, back in England, where his mother is still trying to regain power in Scotland from him, and sometimes take it in England from Elizabeth as well, there is alarm. Elizabeth writes to James basically saying, Hey, I was thinking about making you my heir, and you're running around with this French Catholic doing whatever he says? You got rid of my guy? <laughs> Elizabeth might even have plotted to kidnap James and kill the Earl of Lennox, but we don't really know if that story is true. So much drama. Eventually, Lennox is like, hey, we have to really get rid of this Morton guy. What are we going to do? And what they do is have one of Lennox's guys, James Stewart. Jimmy. Morton. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> they have him accuse Morton of conspiring to kill Lord Darnley. So, <laughs> so now you have me imagining Jimmy Stewart being like, Darnley, he killed Yardley. Darnley right in front Yardley, of everybody. You, you, what did you kill Yardley for? <laughs> I mean, but this was true. It wasn't like an, an unfair allegation. So Morton was beheaded, he's gone, and James can finally seize full power in Scotland. When he is 15, he promoted Lennox to Duke, which was extremely rare for anyone other than a prince of the royal family. In fact, he was the only Duke in Scotland. Man, that must have been some hot fire crotch. <sighs> The Protestants are getting pretty freaked out at this French Catholic having such sway over the king. So, to calm the aristocracy, Lennox converted to Calvinism. Still, Lennox is exposing James to different ideas from his tutors. He's drifting away from the church a bit. He's skipping services to go hunting. He also seems to be less interested in... <laughs> Rachel just did air quotes when I said hunting, by the way. I just need everyone to know that. <laughs> he also seemed to be less interested in the idea of sharing power with his mother. So neither side of the religious divide was happy. And this is a theme that's going to recur time and again during James's life. He tries to please everyone. He takes a moderate path and ends up pleasing no one. Can't please anyone. You gotta please yourself. Oh, Ricky Nelson. <laughs> 
This in part is why he came to be known as the wisest fool in Christendom, which seemed to mean different things to different people. So, in 1582, when James was 16, the nobles, including his old friend the Earl of Mar, decided that the thing to do is get together and kidnap the king. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is what happens with inbreeding folks. They come up with the best ideas. It's such drama. Oh my god. They were led by William Ruthven, the first Earl of Gowrie, who kept him prisoner. Their goal was to rid him of these Catholic influences that they felt were sort of poisoning his mind against the Calvinist slash Protestant church. They also wanted him to curb spending, but mostly they wanted Lennox gone. Lennox holed up in Dumberton Castle and planned to mount some rescues, but the king was very closely guarded. So after 10 months of James's captivity, Lennox was forced into exile. He went back to France, where he was treated very poorly because of his religious conversion, but he didn't convert back. He, he remained a Calvinist. True love. Yeah, so James is heartbroken, and he's 16. Rough. Rough oh. time. <laughs> of course, he wrote a poem called <laughs> A Metaphorical Invention of a Tragedy Called Phoenix about a beautiful bird murdered by jealousy. It starts with this sort of diamond-shaped column of lines with random first letters capitalized. Those letters spell out Esme Stewart Duke. This is like, I swear to God, if this were today, it would be like really bad Tumblr. <laughs> what? The two also kept a secret correspondence. In those letters, Stewart wrote, see if you can find a recurring motif here, quote, the faithfulness which is engraved within my heart will last forever. And whatever might happen to me, I shall always be your faithful servant. You alone in this world whom my heart is resolved to serve. And would to God that my breast might be split open so that it might be seen what is engraven therein. That's hot. Mm. You, did you notice a recurring theme? Motif? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Was any particular organ brought up repeatedly? The heart, because it probably rhymed better than other organs that <laughs> they were probably more focused on at that time. When the Duke died at a young age, which many attributed to his distraught emotional state, he had his heart embalmed and sent to James. That's some forward thinking. <laughs> and also, ew. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Didn't Mary Shelley keep her husband's heart in a box also or something? But that is not normal stuff. Not only is that not friends, that's not normal romance. That seems like something a lesbian would do. Mm. Antonia Fraser, in her biography of James, wrote that the remainder of James' life was a, quote, search to recapture the golden youth quality of his early passion. And it's... <laughs> Hard to disagree with that assessment. He spends the rest of his life trying to recapture that kind of relationship. Mm, no, that was his one true mm. love. And this sometimes went to his head, leading him to take poor counsel from some of his poorer choices of companion. Or, mm -hmm. as Thomas Fowler wrote at the time, quote, It is thought that this king is too much carried by young men that lie in his chamber, Fowler listed Alexander Lindsay as another of his lovers. Other sources mentioned dalliances with Sir James Hay and the Earl of Montgomery. Hey. 
Some of them might have just been men who happened to be around a man known for liking men. I don't know. Some of them might be rumors or mistaken identity. But there are a lot of documented love interests that are very minor. It's so strange to think that a powerful gay man would have so many little barflies flitting around him. (laughs) Yeah, you never see that today. Never. And some sources claim that James had a really audacious relationship with the Earl of Bothwell, his stepbrother? His one-time stepbrother. Yeah, and his father was the suspected co-conspirator in the murder of James's father. Those sources say that the two were pretty big into PDA, kissing and holding each other all over the place. I don't know if this one is true, but if so, it's amazing. Not just because of the familial connections, but also because Bothwell himself would go on to repeatedly conspire to overthrow James. God. He was eventually charged with witchcraft in an incident we'll get into later and lived much of his life as a fugitive running from James's government. And this is, I just want to pull out. Like that, that's should. a relationship that didn't go well, right? That's right. I just want to zoom out here and say that this is what the actual colonizers looked like. Like we're not dealing with the brain trusts of the universe here. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had more time to go into this second Bothwell because it is wild how persistently shady the dude was. Well, I mean, that might be some sort of flavor of porn that you're into, but, you know, the whole stepbrother thing is shady. Well, I don't think they knew each other because Bothwell died when James was just a baby. And none of these people talk? Yeah. (laughs) I don't... I don't think so. Be like, so. hey, that's really funny. That picture on your mantle of that woman is my mom, too. I wonder. Keep in mind, James was royalty. He was probably expected to marry a cousin somewhere. Or, yeah, you know. the, the Habsburg didn't happen by happenstance. <laughs> Back in the 1580s, even though they got rid of Linux, the captors were mostly not really getting what they wanted out of the kidnapping. James was acting pretty complacent and cooperative, but he wasn't giving them anything. I mean, he didn't even actually issue an order to exile Lennox. They did get him to write a sort of harsh letter to him, but they're not getting a lot. So they're getting frustrated and they're having second thoughts. Then on the 27th of June, 1583, James escaped. At this point, he's 17 He managed to contact a bunch of the nobles who hadn't conspired to help kidnap him, and he got them to convene in one place. Then he escaped, so it's like, give this up and we will forgive you, or civil war and you're all going to die. After this, he really moves to build and consolidate his power, and just finally seizes control of all of Scotland by himself. Good for him. Yeah, he he gains the power to appoint bishops to the Protestant church, which I kind of like separation of powers, but okay. Um, He pretty shrewdly plays the various factions in Scotland against each other. Even though he promised to forgive the conspirators, a year after his escape, he executed Gowrie for different acts of treason. And he pretty quickly signed an alliance with England in an effort to convince the childless Elizabeth to leave him the crown when she dies. He is a crafty bitch, isn't he? And he's only 17. 
No, so. this is he's I mean he's he's perfect age for Abba. He's seventeen. <laughs> he's a dream. <laughs> But this is a little awkward because about a year later, Elizabeth executes James' mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, who, again, conspired against Elizabeth a lot, or at least was accused of conspiring against her a lot. James, to his credit, begged Elizabeth not to go through with it. And I think most people were surprised that she even actually did. In a letter to Elizabeth, he likened the plan to Henry VIII's execution of Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn. Ooh. Elizabeth was enraged by this. And for arguably one of history's greatest monarchs, she responded in a pretty childish way, which was to say that because of this letter, she had to kill Mary for spite. It was just out of her hands. Uh, what else am I supposed to do? I was going to let her live, but then you're going to get mouthy with me. Then when it was actually oh. done, Elizabeth placated James by telling him that she had not actually ordered the execution and her secretary had exceeded his authority by issuing the order. James briefly broke off diplomatic ties over this, but it's not like he declared war. He still wanted the English crown. He was better off in Scotland politically with poor Mary dead. Keep in mind, he never met Mary, except when he was less than a year old a few times. And she had plotted to overthrow him pretty much his entire life. That's a complicated mother-son relationship there. <laughs> right. Like, you still don't want your mom dead, even if you've never met her. And she's also tried to overthrow you a bunch. He also knew that if Elizabeth were to fall, the Spanish would come and they'd come for Scotland next. So the two really did need each other as the Protestant monarchs sharing the same island. So they made up and James just kissed her ass. He referred to himself in terms like your natural son in oh, letters geez. to Elizabeth. <laughs> what a kiss ass. Also, Elizabeth sent him an allowance, a royal subsidy of probably 4,000 pounds per year, which was sent to him for basically the same reasons we send foreign aid to influence another country without having to spend a lot of money on war. That said, he also realized he couldn't put all of his eggs in the English basket, and he started to form relationships with other heads of state, including the Pope, which is a little surprising because, again, James is Protestant. Mm -hmm. And to the Pope, he complained about Elizabeth's imprisonment and execution of his mother. Okay. So a king needs two things, really, right? forebears with a legitimate claim to the throne sure but he also needs heirs to assure people that there will be no major upheaval when he or she dies so how is a young queen like james to sire these <laughs> heirs find out in part two of our christmas special king james the sixth and first which will be posted right after this one you shouldn't have to wait it'll be up by the time you finish listening to this thank you for listening if you enjoyed this podcast Please remember to rate, review, and share us with your friends, your family, your pastors, the laity, all of the people of your church. You can find this episode and all back episodes in all of the major podcast platforms or by going to kickassqueers.com. You can also find us on social media at kickassqueercast. Our next episode will be the conclusion of James's story. Until then... Whether you're plotting against an old queen or sleeping with one, remember to kick ass.
Speaking of hearts and boxes, have you ever thought about that box that the evil queen in Snow White has, like custom made to hold hers? Who did she go to? Like, I need a custom box made. The theme should be hearts and daggers, and it should be about large enough to hold, say, the heart of a 14-year-old girl. Never you mind what it's for. Do you think that the the craftsperson of said boxes, is that like a family business, or do you think it was just accidental that he got into heart-shaped box <laughs> I hope, production? I hope it was a family affair. I hope that when she left, he was like, see, kids could be worse. Now make the fucking box. 